Today, we would like to draw your attention to the recent movement that has been happening in Hong Kong for more than eight months. We are a small city, but the importance of Hong Kong is that its development in freedom and democracy is always a good reference and indicator for the future development of China. So both of us are journalists. Uh, we hope by understanding um, our situation and difficulties, we would, you would be able to have a better judgment on the, the wording of the superpower. And we, as a member of the press, welcome your suggestions and advice on how we can do better in giving you the truth and information to make a difference. So it all began in June last year. It marked the beginning of a series of protests against the government extradition bill, which has later been withdrawn, but only too late. Um, the plan which would allow criminal suspect to be potentially be extradited to China was introduced on April 3rd. Critics warned that it could threaten Hong Kong's legal freedom and it may use to intimidate or silence dissidents. The first march against the bill took place on June, on June 9th. In a city of about 7 million people, the rally was joined by 1 million. It was a record number and it ended peacefully. But then the government announced the bill would still go ahead the same night. It was, well, what we're looking back, we believe it was when we reached the point of no return. Three days later, on June 12, a fresh demonstration took place to stop the bill. The police cracked it down really heavy-handedly with the use of tear gas and rubber bullets. The standoff developed into one of the worst violence in Hong Kong history in, uh, had ever seen in decades. Many of the wounded and arrested people are young students. It sparked widespread outrage in the public. As the movements continued for almost six more months, the level of violence used by both the protesters and the police officers have been increasing. It was common for the demonstrators to stage street marches or gather just for violence and vandalism, such as blocking the traffic, throwing bricks, petrol bombs to the police and the stations. As for the police, they often respond by firing tear gas and other weapons. It evolved. The protests are no longer just about the extradition bill anymore. The movement has now morphed into a wider anti-government protest calling for greater democracy and police accountability. The protest slogan is five demand, not one less. For the last demand, it used to be the, the resignation of the city leader, but now it has changed to demand a universal suffrage for, the, um, for everyone to have the rights to elect the future leader. There are also major critical events that add fuel to the protest one of which is um, the attack on July 21st. Around 100 mob dressed in white tea suddenly attacked passengers in a tube station with iron rods and other weapons. At least 48 passengers were injured. Most of them were people dressed in black t-shirts. They were believed to be the protesters who just left a peaceful march and going back home. We do not know who these white mobs are, but those they attack um, 
also include people and family with children who were just at the station by, by chance. Um, the question was, where was the police when everyone in Hong Kong witnessed this attack on live reports? They did not arrive until about half an hour later when all the white mobs were gone. The, police, um, the public were outraged by the police in action. This is a video on what happened that night. There were more. On August 31st, the police made a high-profile arrest in a railway station, during which some police officers displayed some unreasonable use of force on random passengers, especially those who were wearing dark clothes, further taunting their own reputation. And also in August, the protesters had shut down the airport for a few days in an attempt to gain public attention. It was also an important event because um, it was when the movement was believed to pro provoke many overseas tourists, and there were fear that it may turn the public sentiments against the movement at that point. The protesters later admit it was probably a wrong move and apologize. So they keep changing their tactics until it reached the siege of the two universities. Many people believed the incident could be the end game of the movement. It was in November. First, the police decided to use force to take down a bridge in one university. After protesters occupied the bridge and blocked a major traffic highway below, but they felt the police failed to take it down. It was seen as a group of students defending their own school campus against um, the police. After that, the protesters went to another campus and occupied a cross harbour tunnel nearby. It was when the police decided to besiege the campus and arrest everyone inside it. The siege lasted for weeks, and the police did look like they would take over the school by force at, at, at any cost. There were rumours that live rounds could also be used. Thousands of protesters, including students, were trapped inside the campus for days, and some even for weeks, with the resource inside the campus dangering. Um, the whole Hong Kong witnessed how um, the city stage campaign to rescue these, stu these students from the campus. So after this incident, we have a district council election. It was a very low-level election. The poll itself has little political power. But the fact that um, the pandemic class is winning by a landslide proves that the majority of the Hong Kong public is backing the movement, despite it being more radical. 
Now, facing more confrontation situation in our work, what danger we faced as a member of the press? The protests in Hong Kong have, in many ways, changed the way how local media cover news incidents, perhaps forever. For this kind of ongoing major breaking news that everyone is emotionally involved, readers and audience seems to demand a new standard of openness, comprehensiveness, and immediateness for protest news. At the same time, there are many new challenges emerge for journalists too. I won't go into the details. Why will share more with you? But I will name a few of the major difficulties here. For example, the be water strategy. The Big Water Strategy adapted by the protesters. It was originally a famous philosophy used by Bruce Lee. This strategy adopted by the protesters made um, they aim to make all their movements to flow just like water. It makes reporters difficult to plan and predict their next move because they themselves don't know what will they do next. So it, you can you can see how this is a headache for the newsroom. We we never know how to plan our resources and manpower. Secondly, it was a tense relationship with the police. In general, journalists have enjoyed wild, uh, fairly wide access during the process. Um, they could somehow manage to get to places where the conflicts took place and stay there to do live reportings. But the use of tear gas, water cannon, batons, and even live guns round shots still threaten the safety of the frontline journalists. Why will say more about this? Thank you. Thank you so much, Emily. Um, I will go on to highlight some of the areas that Emily actually already touched on. And just to, uh, before I get into that, though, Emily and I do agree on most things, but just for the sake of having a lively discussion, you will see sometimes we do have slightly different perspective. And that is easy to understand. I grew up in mainland China. I work for a Singapore public broadcaster. I've lived in Hong Kong accumulatedly for about six years, but I didn't grow up there. I don't have family there. So when things get really, really bad, they do not affect me emotionally the same way that it affects uh, the brave men and women like Emily and her colleagues. Um, the other thing is the police relationship with the Hong Kong public in the past was perhaps the best in Asia. And I didn't grow up with cuddly police officers. So I expect them to shout and kick. <laughs> And the reason that we've seen so many really amazing and shocking and sometimes heartbreaking images coming out of the Hong Kong protest is because reporters get close. They get very, very close. And as you could see in these two photos, they get right under the nose of the police and protesters. And sometimes this is actually how it looks like. This is a photo I took on the 1st of July. This is how it looks like when you're standing on a vantage point. The people in blue, those are police officers. The people with the umbrellas, these are protesters. And these people in the yellow vests, these are the cameramen, the photographer, the live streamers. They're standing in that narrow space between the two opposing camps, which is an incredibly, incredibly dangerous place to be. Now, this issue actually came up for debate in Hong Kong quite frequently. The Foreign Correspondents Club actually uh, held a workshop for freelance reporters, and they were specifically 
asked about uh, what's the biggest mistake that people could potentially make in covering the protest. And uh, here is uh, uh, what the speaker said. His name is Steve Steven. He's the head of security risk uh, at the Wall Street Journal. He was a former British commando. I think he served 15 years. Our unit motto, the unsung unit motto, is run away, run away. And journalists should not. And journalists should not be armed, right? Okay, thanks. Interesting question. Oh, sorry. Ah, sorry, sorry. The uh, situation. Get out of there. Yes, are, are you really going to fight one of these guys with an iron bar? Is it a look? Uh, Mike? What do you think the biggest mistake is that you're all making this situation? Oh, well, that may be too controversial. I know you guys have got different uh, demands from, uh, from uh, your own organizations, but getting in that space between the protesters and the, uh, and the security forces is a, an enormous mistake. I know that some of you think you have to be there. I'm sure that you have demands, but none of my people are going to be in that space. That's an enormous mistake. Okay. So the perpetual complaint from the police force about the media is obstruction because their priority is to get the protesters off the streets and they feel the reporters are right in front of them, slowing them down. And then they've basically decided, if I have to step over you to get to the other side, then be it. And as that dragged on, reporters were caught up in a pepper spray, in a tear, tear gas, so sometimes with rubber bullets, sponge bullets. And it got to a point where the police will deliberately target reporters. As you could see in this photo, there really was no protesters left on the scene. Uh, the issue about where you should stand. I'm a bit ambivalent about this because we were also told that specifically lesson one in hostile environment training is not to stand between two opposing camps because you get pelted by projectiles coming from both sides. But I also realize we have the luxury of not doing that because the local reporters are there. So we could just watch their live streaming and their footage. Uh, so Emily would like to speak a bit more about this from her perspective. Well, um, I'm not speaking on behalf of all local journalists, but we did, uh, being warned that not to stand in front of, the, uh, to stand in between the police and the, and the protesters. And, and we tend to stick to that. But the situation in Hong Kong is very unique. Um, we have very narrow streets. Even for us locals, we know the street by hearts. It's still very difficult to um, find a vintage point in everywhere um, to overlook the conflicts. This is number one. And secondly, um, like I mentioned before, the be water strategy means that the protesters are really fast. Um, they keep changing the strategy and the situation. And for um, journalists who really stay at the front line, we have to be physically fit and really quick on feet to um, to be able to follow them and see what happens. So it ends up, sadly, sometimes we caught in between the police and, um, and the protesters. And sadly, it results in some conflicts between the member of the press and the police as well, because they feel that we're always blocking the way, and they feel we're doing it intentionally. Um, thirdly is that we are seeing a surge in the number of citizen journalists um, due to the live steaming technology. Um, for example, Facebook Live, um, people would just call them 
um, journalists, uh, but in fact they own a, a Facebook fan page and they decide to do a live reports on the news. So um, they were just put on the press west without any trainings and stay with the member of the press. So in in any major conflicts, there are a few dozens of reporters wearing vests and with the press pass on their necks, standing in the street. In such a narrow street, um, such as Hong Kong, it's really difficult for the space to fit and everyone. Um, professional journalists, they might be able to determine when they put a stop, but for citizen journalists, there's really no, no room for them. So, yeah, yeah. for white. Thank you. Um, the competition point is very important because it's a fiercely competitive industry in Hong Kong and this is one area I do feel the media owners have a responsibility to come together and decide whether your employees should be there, how many of them should be there at the same time. So we usually do stand on a bridge because you can see much of what's going on and if the crowd moves you don't get caught up in between but things in hong kong develop very very quickly so sometimes that doesn't work as seen in here that's me um i was standing on a bridge except the bridge i was waiting for a live shot except the bridge leads to a train station that was occupied by protesters and the police decided that everybody just have to go inside so they were coming onto the bridge to chase the people uh, it's a very dramatic photo i'm happy to report actually nothing bad happened it actually happened in such a split second it didn't quite register on my mind until i got home three o'clock in the morning and saw the tweet uh, so i sent out a tweet to clarify there were a few reasons in retrospect i thought it was it was quite a lucky escape uh partly because i usually speak english when i report in hong kong so immediately i was not seen as a participant of the protest and also this happened in august when the police was still fairly disciplined uh, they could still control their own emotions uh, just actually slightly over a month later a very similar incident and something terribly tragic uh, tragic happened there They were, they were shouting journalists, journalists, we're journalists. Yeah, yeah. journalists that was shot. Um, the, the reporter was shot. Her name is Vida Mega, uh, sorry, Vebi Mega. She works for an Indonesian newspaper. She had been based in Hong Kong for a while. The robber bullet went through her goggles and blinded her. She ended up losing an eye. Uh, what happened there was the reporters were on a bridge. Police came up to the bridge. They shouted, we're reporters. Police retreated. There was one um, protester, it's the, it's the man who was in a raincoat, ran from behind the reporters and motioned towards the police. And somebody was very jittery and very trigger happy. Uh, so fired a shot, that happened. That was unacceptable. And what was more unacceptable, more unacceptable was this happened in September 
Until now, the police says they do not know which officer fired the shot. They're refusing to give out a name. I think what's angering the people of Hong Kong even more than what's happened on the ground was this absolute refusal by the police to be held accountable for anything they do. So how do the media fight back? It's been an interesting evolution. This is a photo from June, very early on in a protest, when reporters first started complaining, complaining about police conduct. So local reporters decided to show up at a press conference wearing their vests and helmets and goggles. And the police let it go on. Uh, the press conference it did go on. Nothing changed. There was a silent march by reporters to defend press freedom. Again, not much changed afterwards. Which I was there. I was there. There were frequent statements from the local journalist association and the foreign correspondents club condemning the police. And eventually, it culminated in this. On, on the Hamlet said, stop the police uh, lies. Stop poli police lies. Stop police brutality, check police lies. That's what um, so that police conference was cancelled. When I saw that, I wasn't there that day. My first reaction was the police was quite thin-skinned. Because in the past, if you protest, they ask you to sit down the press conference. So it would continue. They were quite thin-skinned that day. They decided not to do that. But I also felt a little uneasy for two reasons. One concerns fairness. Now, we have a responsibility to call the police out on their lies, and they do say very incredible things at a press conference. And I think we have a responsibility to ask follow-up questions and really try to pin them down. But I think it's quite another thing before they speak to hold out slogans accusing them of liars, uh, sort of preempting what they will speak the other concern, and it's perhaps my bigger concern, is um, Hong Kong is an incredibly divided city. Despite the election being a landslide towards the fair democracy camp, they won 80% of the seats, but because of its first-past-the-post system, if you look at the popular vote, 40% of the city's population still voted for pro-government, pro-Beijing, and they're strongly pro-police parties. These are the people who are getting their news from the Chinese state propaganda machines simply because they don't trust what the free press is reporting. And that press conference are being live streamed on TV. I'm mindful of what kind of message we're sending to a minority, a not small minority, and a minority that increasingly feels embittered. 
Um, Emily has would say something, uh, her perspective, talk a little bit about her perspective on this. Well, I wasn't involved in the um, press conference uh, protest, but I was aware of why the local media would do it, and I was aware of the argument. Uh, basically, um, the members of Hong Kong agree they have a right to stage a protest, and they felt the police were really disrespectful of, um, to the press, preventing them from doing the job. Firstly, um, in this press conference, um, in which the police has been staging, I have been holding press conference every day um, at a point, every day at 12.30. And uh, for, for the media who've been attending this press conference, they feel the police are only using them to release their own side of story. It's like reading out a statement and refuse to answer questions from the press. Sometimes they also taught the, the reporters what to do. They would be rather rude, seeing that, oh, you're from uh, this and this newspaper. You should report a story as it is, which is what I said, this and this and this. So they are, uh, the police spokesperson could be quite arrogant sometimes. And um, some police, frontline police officers have been calling us names, like black reporters. But fairly, um, the cops have been called black cops by the protesters, and protesters have been called cockroach by the cops as well. <laughs> cockroach as in those Nazis who called the Jewish in, in, in the concentration camp, which is entirely, entirely inappropriate. Um, so basically, the, the relationship between the press and the, um, and the police office is totally broke down at a certain point. We, um, they feel that the press conference was useless. Um, they have many other platforms to release that information, and the press would refuse to be used um, as, um, uh, as the pretense of um, trying to pretend to be respectful of the public rights to information. So um, they, want to, they want to disclose that this is a fake presser and um, they refuse to collude with the authority. This is how, why, why some of the reporters agree to do the protest. Um, well, I, I believe it's still arguable whether it is the best way to stage a protest inside a press conference, um, and whether it's the best way for reporters who are on duty to do so. Um, but for those outside their duty, like they weren't assigned there to ask the questions, Perhaps there was some room for discussion on how to plan a better protest next time. But after saying all this, even if the journalist staged a silent protest in a presser, should the police just cancel a press conference because they feel intimidated by the public? Shouldn't the authority be more respectful of the public's right to know instead of just protecting their own feelings? What do you feel about <laughs> Um, we will come some questions uh, later and we'll continue to discuss this. Uh, a lot of the dangers um, have been discussed and sometimes because there are still small pro-government rallies, these rallies are even more dangerous place uh, for most reporters to be because uh, people do feel uh, once they're embittered, it's free season, uh, open season uh, on the press. Uh, there was something I want to talk about because I am mainland Chinese, I'm a Mandarin speaker, even though I don't use Mandarin for work. And for Mandarin speakers who are reporting in Hong Kong now, there is a 
additional problem. Uh, and I want to show you two examples. So one is from uh, Jayan Fan. She's a staff reporter by The New Yorker. Uh, she, uh, at The New Yorker, she actually went to Hong Kong just to uh, report on the protest. Uh, she was speaking English with the protesters. This is the pro-democracy uh, protesters. Uh, but she said the interviewees struggled to reach for a, wor a word, so she volunteered to switch to Mandarin. Uh, and that is how this happened. Oh, the media could not be played. There's another uh, example of a Taiwanese reporter uh, covering a protest in Hong Kong. So what he's saying is, I'm a reporter from Taiwan. Please do not attack me. Uh, Usually they they welcome people. From yeah, they do welcome people from Taiwan. Uh, here is where it gets really tricky. Uh, because most Mandarin-speaking reporters in Hong Kong work for Chinese state media. And a lot of sometimes they do distort what's happening on the ground and they twist people's words. So, so there's an understandable wariness towards these reporters. My take on this is people have the right and they can and they should decline an interview from people they don't trust. But if it's an open event, it's a protest on a street, then they as much as we do have a right to be there, um, and anything short of trying to make them feel uncomfortable, trying to make them feel threatened is harassment, and they, we should just call it that. Uh, the separate, other separate issue, of course, there are Mandarin speakers who do not work for Chinese state propaganda machines. And I'm not saying this is the biggest, this is by far, this is a relatively small problem. It is by no means the biggest problem facing Hong Kong's freedom of uh, press and freedom of speech. Uh, but I'm mindful of this problem, not just for journalists. Since the return of China, the return of Hong Kong to China in 1997, 1.5 million mainland Chinese have settled in Hong Kong. They make up 20% of the population. There is persistent conspiracy theory that this is a master plan by Beijing to dilute the population of Hong Kong. My understanding, the reality is actually much more mundane. About a million of these people are very poor mainland Chinese women who married a very poor Hong Kong men, simply because these men couldn't find a spouse 
in Hong Kong. And these are the people who live in public housing. These are the people who go to public hospitals. So if we don't protect them when we still can, what will happen to these people when people have a choice of to leave? Well, what, what I feel is the wife been talking about two issues here versus the issues that Avenger Yin is speaking or is being targeted in the protest, which might be um, true. And sadly, there's some single incidents. Um, I can speak for local medias that, um, in general, we do not feel any threats from the protesters when we covered um, throughout the protest. Um, sometimes when the protesters, uh, when journalists get hurt, um, it was the protesters and the medics at site who rescued us instead of the authority. Um, and um, I could also um, um, say that when local media reports government supporting camps in other protests, actually, like other than all these actions, there's also small scale protests um, organized by the pro government camps um, to show support to Beijing. Um, we feel more hostility in that kind of small scale, most small scale, uh, scale protest rather than all these actions. Um, the thing is, um, we, we, some media also have a policy never to arrange female reporters to reports about the government supporting camps because um, all these um, protesters are actually government supporting protesters, um, they attack well, every every media instead of just uh, targeting Mandarin or English media, they attack every media. They just um, take your cameras and uh, like hit us. So sometimes we we refuse to go to report about the small scale gathering as well. So this is the border pictures for, um, for a little reported but border pictures for everyone to think about. And secondly, what um what I said about. Um, mainland couples reunion in Hong Kong with this entirely different issues, but we can see how it's um, one of um, the uh, one one of the public sentiments um, that um, they 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 feel very strongly against um, Beijing ruling. So they the, the anti-Chinese um, sentiment is just everywhere. It seeps in everywhere in, in every aspect of the society. And what I said is just one of them. Um, so what can the organization do to protect journalists in this very polar, polarized political environment and more hostile situation? Do you have anything to share? Um, should we um, and, uh, This is where we want everyone to give us some feedbacks. Um, and, uh, Questions are well. So yeah, basically, we're done. Basically, any questions? <laughs>